Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 8, issue 369. We're going to talk about Disney's Aladdin, more than one game in this show. A veritable cave of wonders. You can play along with our upcoming podcasts. Our next show will be another platformer but from the following generation with Ape Escape. After that, point and click shenanigans with Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. Following that, we go back to the days uh, of 8-bit and 16-bit computers with Paradroid and Paradroid 90. Then we continue our long-running look at the entire canon-numbered epic Final Fantasy series with 10. And after that, it's kind of indie, bullet hell, action, shoot 'em up do hickey fury. Yeah. Uh, Canerince.com is the place to go for the full schedule and links to everything else we do, including our merch store. Uh, thought I might mention that for once. Uh, get the show every week earlier, a week earlier than non-subscribers for just a dollar a month. That's the minimum donation. You can contribute more if you want. And that is incredibly welcome. That's around 77p a month or 0.89 of a euro. That's at the time of recording. All the terms and conditions apply. Patreon.com slash You also get an exclusive monthly podcast and quarterly early format specials, single format specials. You get them three months before the free show anyway. Uh, and you also get extended cuts of the podcast in many cases as well. We also have a PayPal uh, button logo on the homepage, canarince.com, if you just want to throw some coinage at us, either in a friendly or an aggressive fashion is fine. Sound of Play comes out on Wednesdays. That's one of our three other podcasts. It's all about video games music. We often interview composers. We also have members of the community and the team on. Playwright on Thursdays. Ryan and Ryan, Q and H, come up with all new ways to play, pitching video game ideas and working out concepts. And on Fridays, Chris O'Regan talks to the developers, the people who make the games in the Sausage Factory. Please subscribe, rate and review all of these shows and this one best if you can on apple podcasts or itunes but everywhere you get your media you can find us We're also on spotify uh, and you can follow us on social media of course twitter instagram and facebook so joining me leon cox in issue 369 are brian iago edwards right wits end <laughs> leah the genie hey do excuse me are you looking at me did you rub my lamp? Did you wake me up? Did you bring me here? And all of a sudden you're walking out on me? I don't think so. Not right now. You're getting your podcast, so sit down. <laughs> Tony <laughs> Abu Atkins. Ah! Uh, <laughs> Hang on, that was Iago again. Yeah, that was Iago. <laughs> no, oh, I, oh, oh, this this will be terrible, but all I can see, see now is Will Smith doing the Aladdin. Which is okay. not good. Yeah, that's for well, kids in yeah, the future. <laughs> that's why we've uh, that's why we timed the show for now. To come out in uh, in tandem with the the latest of Disney's sort of reimaginings with CG and live action of their animated classics, the games we're talking about, of course, mm. were released to tie in with the animated classics uh, back in ninety two, ninety three sort of era. Um, the politics of the new live action movie have changed ever so slightly, and I think if you go back and watch the ninety two movie, you might understand <laughs> why. Uh, there's some been some controversy about the depiction of Arabia, uh, or you know whichever specific part of the country, uh, the world it's set, and also uh, the fact that uh, although Jasmine, relatively for the time, was a kind of spunky independent princess, her main motivation is to be allowed to marry whoever she wants. Um, whichever man she wants as well. Mm. But uh, so things have moved on, I gather, in the film. Uh, these 
factors are probably less relevant to the game, but uh, we will talk about it. So let's start talking about our histories. Uh, we might as well mention the film as well, because it probably is relevant, although I'm sure we all played licensed platformers where we had very little interest in the in the subject matter. But Leah, uh, were you sort of uh, excited for the, the... This was the, I guess, the third film in the 2D Disney resurgence. They had some rather fallow years artistically in the 70s and 80s and then starting with The Little Mermaid perhaps and then with Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin this was them sort of hitting their stride again and uh, finding form so were you the right age was this something oh, yes. that yes yes yeah. <laughs> I was I was uh, right in that uh, I guess um, uh, so the game came out in 93 uh, and I, I I believe that the movie came out the same year if that's if that's correct um, I, I I was directly in the path of, of all of this though that's my uh kind of disney golden age when i was you know really really into those movies and uh the game um uh the version that i played would be the uh the mega drive or the uh, as it was for me the genesis version i had mm -hmm. a sega genesis uh, as my kind of primary console and uh my parents had purchased uh, the uh, the Aladdin game for me for Christmas that year, so nice. I have very vivid memories of sitting at the TV and like playing that all day and just you know truly caning and rinsing that game over the next um, probably couple of months because you know that was at the time I wasn't old enough to really be buying my own game, so this was like the big one that I had for a while, and uh, you know after getting through it that first time. I, I really did go back and, you know, bump up the difficulty, give myself like little challenges, like, can I get all of the gems or, you know, get through right. here without getting hit and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so uh, I, this is one of the earliest uh, games that I can remember that I really did that with. Um, I, I had, you know, been playing video games, obviously, for a while before this, but this is one of the ones that uh, really started me into uh, kind of hardcore going through a game to get everything out of it that I possibly could. Now, we are going to talk about, uh, specifically we're talking about the two 16-bit versions. There were various uh, ports and things as well, which we'll cover. Now, we are going to ostensibly talk about the Mega Drive Genesis version and then the SNES version, but obviously we are going to compare and contrast. But I want to make it clear to listeners, this is not about a show where we decide which objectively is the best. Um, <laughs> we may, of course, have preferences. We may prefer one over the other or aspects, and that's fine. And what this certainly isn't and would never be on Kane Rint is a Sega versus Nintendo show because that oh, kind boy. of thing completely <laughs> sucks. There would only be one winner anyway. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> You're so fired. Um, I didn't say who. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, and uh, Brian, how about you? Uh, I don't think um, you haven't made as many Kane and Rinse podcasts as the rest of us, so perhaps aren't, listeners aren't as familiar with your age and things like that. So give us some Aladdin background if you have it. No, much like Leah, I was directly in the center of the storm's path when it came to Disney's resurgence. I was 10 years old when the animated Aladdin came out. Oh, wonderful. Um, and I think it's the first movie I can remember begging my parents to take me to see again in the theaters. Um, yeah. So I was very much into it. Uh, we were, I don't know how this happened in North America. I think it's might have been the same everywhere, but specifically I remember regionally, we amongst my group of friends, you were either a Super Nintendo kid or a Genesis kid. There was not, yeah. you know, very few families had, had both. Of course, um, yeah. And uh, our family was always a Nintendo household. And I remember going to my friend's house and seeing the Genesis version of Aladdin for the first time, and it just absolutely blowing my mind. 
So I remember coming home, being all excited and, and, and begging my parents, asking my parents, you know, I really wanted a lad. And they kind of, they kind of, you know, fended my, my advances off for a while. And then yeah. for my birthday in the fall, they, they got me the Super Nintendo version of Aladdin. Oh, and you were confused. <laughs> so I, I very excitedly put it in and found that it was not the same game. Um, although much like Leah at, at that age, like that was my game for the fall. So I was, you know, yeah. that was the game I was going to play. So I played that game top to bottom. Um, the, in fact, in preparing for this podcast, I, I was playing the, the same cartridge. I still have it um, from when I was oh, a kid. Yeah. Brilliant. And, um, and what I found when playing it, again, is that my memories of the game um, that I had in my head, all my nostalgic memories, were more for the Genesis version than for <laughs> the uh, Super Nintendo version, which I think is interesting. Um, but we'll talk more on that later. But yeah, so I owned it and I, I played the Super Nintendo and the Genesis ones healthily as a, as a child and then um, was, you know, overcome by all sorts of nostalgia playing through them again for the show so nice i know leah you said uh, to us uh, before recording that your muscle memory really kicked in when you went back to play this because you played it so much like you were surprised yeah it was crazy like i still i mean i probably hadn't touched this game in you know 10 to 15 years at least and i still like i i remembered it perfectly like yeah. it just it, it was uh, imprinted it was almost scary. Uh, how, was that true with the snes version <laughs> yes. for you brian or the uh, going back to it yeah the 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 level design uh specifically i remember the uh we'll talk about this later the magic carpet section uh, yep. on genesis I, I struggled horribly but in the oh, snes yeah. version i could do it in one shot just because i knew where <laughs> everything was coming oh see it was the ex exact <laughs> yeah. opposite for and me obviously That's one funny. of the things we're going to talk about is how similar and how different the games are. Uh, and and th I mean, that's why I yeah. always wanted to make this show as it is, because it is such a fascinating case. Mm. Tony, uh, you would have been a little older than these guys, right? Yeah, 14. So, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe... Still a decent age. Yeah, maybe not directly in the path of wanting to pick up an Aladdin game, but, you know, certainly uh, you know, interested in movie tie-in games. Uh, yeah, and I would have just been playing stuff that was uh, reviewed well, which these games were. Um, my story's maybe slightly different. I, I don't specifically remember picking up the game you know, upon release or anything like that, or even begging my parents for it. But I I did play the uh, Super Nintendo version over the Mega Drive version, which is odd because... Um, you didn't have a Super Nintendo. I didn't have a Super Nintendo. <laughs> that is correct, Leon. And uh, the reason I remember this is because I played the Super Nintendo around a friend's house. Um, right. And there was a, a number of, you know, weeks gaming sessions just to get you know get through you know it's got kind of password system so yeah just moved on through and played it there um and actually have only just recently played the mega drive version for this show which is a really odd experience hmm. um and obviously mm -hmm. done plenty of research and kind of seen them back to back and what and whatnot but i certainly had the the i wouldn't say the muscle memory of uh the super nintendo version but mm. there's a lot of elements there that came flooding back and Yes, I certainly was a kid again for a, for a good few hours of just, you know, big smile across the face. Uh, wasn't quite the same with the Mega Drive version. <laughs> but well. There's quite a good symmetry here because <laughs> I only played the Super Nintendo version for this podcast. So hmm. I was 21 when Aladdin came out. I absolutely loved the film. I, I really loved yeah. it. Uh, I was, I, I think Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid had kind of passed me by a little bit. Um, perhaps I was at that age when I was in my teens where it was a bit, felt a bit awkward to you know kind of be going to see kiddie films and whatever and you know even though i was Never. always a, a well exactly and i was always an animation fan and i grew up with disney as as we all did uh but when aladdin came out 
uh, I was in a, a phase of going to the cinema quite a bit, and I, and um, I just thought it was such a yeah, just like a real sort of old school return to form masterpiece. I thought the songs were just superb. Mm. Uh, it was genuinely funny, um, and actually, I was I was buying uh, you know cartoon side scrolling sixteen bit two D platformers hand over fist during that period. I was uh, recently moved out of home. I was earning my own money, and I was buying all these games, um, and I'd played cool spot which was david perry and the team's uh, previous yeah, mega drive genesis game really liked it obviously an absurd tie-in tied in with the <laughs> the red dot of the side of a seven up can um, and cool spot was a character we didn't really have here in the uk because we had a different advertising campaign based around um purple ronnie art mm-hmm. um so cool spot we got the games there were two games one on the amiga one on the mega drive uh, and amiga and snes as well um, and I love that game and I like the feel of it and, and uh, the animation and the art. So when, when I saw that this was essentially uh, another game in that lineage using the same engine, uh, I can't remember. I don't think I bought it at the time it was initially out, but I picked it up within a year or year and a half or something and um, played it through to completion on the Mega Drive. Never got around to the Super Nintendo version. Uh, I knew it was a different game. I was aware of that. I guess the reviews I'd read for it hadn't been quite so positive overall. And so I was just like, okay, I'll just stick with the, the Mega Drive one on this occasion. And, uh, and I, yeah, I just not got, never got around to catching up with it. I think it was years later when I'd learned that Shinji Mikami had, uh, had worked on it that uh, I started to get interested. And I guess it's been on the list to cover for the show ever since. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, now I've replayed the, the Mega Drive one and played the Super Nintendo one for the first time. So as I say, that Mega Drive game, or Genesis, uh, was a Virgin Games uh, title uh, in conjunction with Disney Software. Development uh, began in January 1993, so actually after the, after the film had already been out. A team of 10 animators from Disney working on the animation frames. Uh, the work was then shipped to Virgin California. Uh, the art digitized into the game using that traditional animation uh, supervised by Virgin's uh, gaming team staff and uh, many of those people who would go on to leave during the development of uh, the Jungle Book, I think it was, to make uh, Earthworm Jim as shiny entertainment. It was a an in-house uh, digicel process to compress the data onto cartridge because this does have a lot of uh, a lot of animation for a 16-bit game. The Virgin was given the deadline of October 1993 to complete production to coincide with the home video release of the film. Aha, okay. Uh, The deadline left Virgin with about three quarters the normal amount of time to build a game. That's according to Wikipedia. But of course, because they were using this well-established and very slick and polished engine uh, from the David Perry and the team, uh, that obviously reduced the time required. The game was released in November 1993 in the US, uh, Amiga MS-DOS versions followed in 94, very similar, based on the Mega Drive game, uh, with a slightly redesigned status panel at the top of the screen with a different health bar, uh, which was the genie's face and an hourglass rather than the smoky lamp that you get on the on the Mega Drive version. And also those versions had uh, enhanced audio, slightly more authentic sounding versions of the tunes. There's also ports to NES uh, Game Boy, and that also had Super Game Boy compatibility in 1994. Those are less well spoken of historically. I can speak yeah. to that actually a little bit. Um, I, not to cover it completely, but we, I, uh, 
um, did play the Game Boy version uh, leading mm. up to uh, this show. Uh, and it's so it's set up very much like the yeah. uh, Mega Drive version. Um, it is it the level design and everything is is very close, and <laughs> it it's just kind of a lesser version of that. Yeah, they sure. cut out a lot of things. Uh, and the, the, the example that I thought was actually really funny is the, um, uh, we'll talk mm. about the boss design, uh, but at the end of the game, you know, of course you fight Jafar and, um, in the Mega Drive version, you kind of fight him twice. You fight, you know, regular mm. Jafar and then he turns into a big snake and you fight him again. And, um, in, in the Game Boy version, you just fight regular Jafar when he explodes. It's kind of like, well, oh. okay, that's. That's it, huh? <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> and then you walk over to the side and there's Jasmine in a cage and you just kind of walk past her. You don't actually <laughs> let her out of the cage. Uh, and that's where the game ends. But combat, so, combat's um, still there? Animation's still there? Yeah. Well, the animation, yeah. I mean, it's a Game Boy game, so it's not quite the same no. quality uh, of animation by necessity. Like, the engine just it can't handle that much. But for a Game Boy game, um, it... it runs pretty well uh most of it i mean i got through it pretty effectively just knowing what i did from the genesis version um there are a uh, a couple of levels yeah. that are missing the level mm. inside the lamp is just not there um so i mean they, they obviously had some uh limitations to work with there but um it's it's it has its flaws but it's not terrible <laughs> i'll say that it's playable uh but it's it's clearly a uh, a um uh, reduction of yeah. a, a also worth saying game. that you can play the uh, MS-DOS version you can buy it <clears throat> right now on Steam or good old games if you're curious uh, the uh, Mega Drive version I am wondering that obviously we have the uh, the M2 curated uh, Genesis Mega Drive Mini coming later this year they've announced some of the 40 games that it's coming with and they do include uh, Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and World of Illusion mm. uh, starring Mickey and Donald. So it isn't inconceivable that they might arrange, uh, you know, the licensing with whoever they need, Disney and whoever else, to get that on there. So uh, that would be cool because, as uh, as I've found out, it's actually Aladdin is the third best-selling Mega Drive game of all. And who knew, right? Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's really? crazy. Huh. Behind Sonic and Sonic 2. Yeah. And those were both packing games. Wow. So... Yeah. Mr. Ixalite from the forum says, I only just recently found out there was more than one Aladdin platformer. To me, there was just the floppy disk one I played on my parents' old computer and its simplified Game Boy port, which is weird in hindsight considering it was apparently based on the Genesis version. At the time, I considered the game a gorgeously faithful rendition of the animated film and it still looks good with eye-popping colours and fluid animations. I particularly enjoyed the small touches such as guards burning their feet on hot coals and Genie's face serving as a supplement to your health bar as he grows increasingly panicked as you near death. The inviting visuals were likely a big asset for the game as my younger self found it extremely difficult being stuck on the carpet riding escape from the Cave of Wonders in particular for ages. And when you finally beat that you need to face a hellish obstacle course conjured up by the Genie inside his lamp which caught me completely off guard. This wasn't in the movie. Why is Genie trying so hard to kill me? I thought he was my friend. <laughs> I suppose he does say you ain't never had a friend like me. Uh, of course, the challenge makes sense from a gameplay perspective since the game is almost over, despite the movie only being half done at this point. 
As a kid, I didn't think much of these differences, but looking back, they gave the game a weird, unique identity which only superficially resembles the original. There's purple bomb-throwing skeletons. One of the bosses is the guy who dies in the first scene. Aladdin cuts down guards by the dozens. But hey, since you're already taking liberties making the movie a game, better go all out. There was also later, uh, in the year 2000, the future year 2000, <laughs> uh, the Game Boy Color version, which was another port of the existing versions. And this was handled by Crawfish, who were kind of uh, Game Boy uh advance whizzes uh, they became known as but on on the game boy color uh, they also did some sterling work i don't know how well this one turned out but uh, ubisoft actually released it rather than virgin uh, so that's one to go check out if you're interested the reviews at the time when this game came out were uh, pretty excellent i remember the mega magazine over here review giving it 94 percent, but it also got a very creditable eight in edge a slightly less excited 80 percent in cmvg in Japan, even Famitsu gave this Western-developed game 35 out of 40. EGM gave it 34 out of 40. Uh, it also got a Games Master 95% and an IGN 8 out of 10. And as we just said, yeah, the best-selling non-packing game in Mega Drive Genesis history and the third best-selling game overall after the first two Sonic games sold 4 million copies. So you'd think it deserves its place on the, on the upcoming Mini if they can do it. So there's a lot of that purely down to licensing, do you think? I mean, obviously, there's plenty of other Disney properties that are on, on that list of the Mega Drive games. Combination of factors. Yeah. There was a huge marketing push around the movie. Uh, obviously, the movie did incredibly well and Robin Williams. People were already familiar with Virgin's quality mm, uh, platformers true. by this point with Cool Spot. Dave Perry's games always getting great reviews. So I think it was like, a, yeah, a combination of all those good things coming together. And I can't speak for, for how it was everywhere, but I, I have a pretty sizable retro game collection now just because I never throw anything away. Mm. And um, all of my friends, when they, when they want to come over and they want to play games, they, they, one of the first questions they ask is if I have Aladdin, because right. a lot of them have this memory of that game in their head. And I remember just being a gigantic part of all of our childhood. I mean, there wasn't anybody who couldn't you know, speak to both the movie and the game you know, in the same frame. It was, it was a, you know cultural phenomenon here for sure hmm. <laughs> the baboon baron from the forum says even in black and white the only spare tv aladdin looked impressive <laughs> plus on the mega drive version he had a sword for attacking enemies truly sega did what nintendo don't it's hard <laughs> to articulate the power these 16-bit disney adaptations had at the time the palette of colors now made it look just like the film and the atmosphere translated very well ranging from the quite playful chaos of Agrabah to the genuinely spooky dungeon section and final boss. Also, it's worth flagging that from the moment the game boots, the genie shoots a bird out of the sky, making sure a sense of humour is front and centre from the start and throughout a key element of the film that the game was aping. Aladdin himself had plenty of charm and controlled quite well, with the era's floaty jumps present and correct. The plot of the game followed the film's story well, making full use of locales to ensure that the player was always interested in what would come next. Aladdin should be remembered as one of Virgin Interactive's classics, part of that golden era of successful tie-ins like The Mighty Cool Spot. To a certain age group who grew up with both a great film and a great game, this is a timeless classic. So first I wanted to talk about uh, the Baboon Baron's assertion that the game follows the, this game follows the film's plot 
quite well. It sort of does, but one thing that is very noticeable, even compared to the Super Nintendo version, is Jasmine is also is almost completely not there. Uh, she's I think she features in one of the between level cutscenes and that's it whereas obviously in the film she's a fairly major component <laughs> yeah she she's <laughs> you kind of you kiss her at the end over the credits but that's, that's yeah. kind of it uh, that too. Yeah, and, and there's yeah. uh, in the Super Nintendo version there's that one bonus level where you ride with her on the carpet but she doesn't you uh. know, say anything or do anything she's just kind of there she does appear in in between the levels more in the mm-hmm. in the yes. Super Nintendo version yeah. though. Well, um, I, I think some of the problem is that it feels like the I, I'm just going to say Mega Drive, not Genesis, because it, it comes unnaturally. <laughs> the Mega, whichever the Mega fine. Drive version, it feels like they, they never really got out the cave. I mean that it it's like they don't follow the arc of the film. They kind of just follow the arc of you know Aladdin going in the cave, still in the uh, uh, the the lamp, and then kind of just getting stuck in there. And it kind of all kind of wraps up towards the end, but. To me, it just yeah. feels like a scenario of the first quarter of the film, where you know, mm-hmm. to make the the first comparison here, the the Super Nintendo version feels more like a a slightly more of an art to that gesture of the film it's yeah, represented. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. I even thought like uh, as the level progression went on, you're in Agrabah and you're in the town market, and the next thing you are, you're you're on these levels in the desert, and then. I was all immediately thinking, even now, was like, though that doesn't happen in the movie. Why would that, mm-hmm. like, why would we be in the running through the desert and fighting guards in the desert? It doesn't make any sense. And then, and then cut to, you know, escaping from the dungeons, there's all of a sudden, you know, skeletons running around and throwing <laughs> things at you. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it, it did abandon the movie, uh, you know, pretty early, but. The, the absence of Jasmine really is striking because that's the whole conflict, right? I mean, that she's. Yes. So that, so that does. I know that stories and video games back then were not nearly as as, as you know as uh, you know complex as they are. Yes, yeah, thank yeah. you. But but still, not having her there. I mean, that's that that's almost like having to make the comparison the Mario games without trying to rescue the princess. There's nothing you know. Why is he doing what he's doing? Yeah, and also in the the movie, as I say, although I think uh, I understand about the the new live action version, they've given her more agency as a character and. Um, she's uh, her her desire in the new movie version is to become the new sultan, effectively, rather than you know she wants to become a, a capable politician, rather than despite what the culture of uh, the the region and the time tells her. Whereas in this, it's more about you know being allowed to marry whoever she likes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, uh, and obviously, the film is about uh, three people being trapped: Aladdin trapped in poverty, Jasmine trapped in the airs and graces of her royalty and the genie trapped in the lamp and obviously a 16-bit platformer is not necessarily going to be able to get the the sort of subtext across in that way and and it it just simply depicts the the animated antics and the adventure so i think in that respect it does it does a pretty good job even if it does take a few liberties yeah i mean i do understand why they kind of did it this way because you know a lot of the story in the film excuse me, uh, a lot of the story in the film does kind of center around kind of more emotional conflicts rather than physical ones, and that doesn't translate mm. well to platformers usually. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not, not until, no, I suppose in the modern era you could say it has with things like Limbo and Inside True. and uh, Braid and mm. whatever else. I think we kind of got to that point, but this was a long time ago yeah. and this was a, a game aimed, this was you know a fairly big budget game aimed mainly at 
children and adolescents there was there was no intent there was no attempt to make this an emotional journey but it but it is funny you say that and you know we we will talk about oh this may be the perfect time to talk about the uh, the difference between the two story between the two games sure but sure. i do feel like the super nintendo version you know given the same palette of your know, technology at its hands um still created something that was more of a story arc uh introduced yeah. more characters i think you know scenery wise yeah it just felt like a, a more fuller piece so yes the pieces you know they had the same pieces to play with uh, mm. and the the mega drive version has tackled it in a slightly different way if anything you just yes. feel like jafar's you know pawn to get this uh item that he needs and and that's its arc and not to do a disservice because I I do think there there is definitely elements of Aladdin in this game, but I th- I feel more so than the Super Nintendo version that if you did a palette swap, then it would f- it would feel more like a kind of just a you know your average yeah. kind of combat game, you mm. know ten to a dozen that were on the platform, it would be a perfectly fine one. But there's plenty yeah. of elements there that I think you know unlike the other ver- the other game in the, in the series here. That there's element like the magic carpet ride, for instance, that you know just wouldn't make sense in another game um, yeah. with Jasmine. Where this it just it yeah it just doesn't exist. But that it definitely feels Aladdin. But at the same time, it, it you know having I suppose uh, my childhood experience being the other way around, coming to this one, I probably saw more of the shortfalls of of how it was presented. And actually, from a modern perspective, it's you know it's it's bare bones at best. But that you know it's fair enough. I can put myself back to what they were playing with. But it is it's fascinating to see how two complete you know different developers handled the story scenarios in, in different ways. But equally, like they they've kind of almost feel like they got the same splash screens. Obviously, the music's you know similar you know similar in between the two. There is some real similarities what actually caught me off guard so it's like oh is, is this from this one is this from this one okay oh. well this is the the question mm. we'll, we'll talk more oh, about yeah. the development of the super nintendo but it is interesting how similar they are obviously you know they are working from the same source with a completely different team different nationality team but actually they come up with a lot of the same solutions mm. and a few different ones uh re- regarding particularly regarding combat where i guess the key difference if you were going to say the one big difference is that in the super nintendo aladdin jumps on things and in the mega drive he slashes them with a sword <laughs> uh, they both throw apples though which I again <laughs> like did did they come up with this independently i assume they did uh capcom i doubt capcom had any conversations with uh with the virgin team you know during the process but it is possible that because Disney were involved in the license, they had conversation. They both had separate conversations with Disney about about the approach. It's also interesting to me how the Japanese team from Capcom. I agree with you, Tony. I think they made a better fist of presenting mm. the full story in their game than the Mega Drive team did. That that um, is something that yeah. I I think. <laughs> I didn't even question this at the time, but going mm. back and playing them both no. now. I mean, why does he have a sword? Like that just doesn't it doesn't no, really no. fit if you're if you're trying to match it to the uh to the film and I, that that's something that I definitely do think that the uh the Super Nintendo version kind of gets more on the nose because you know, he's he's not really a um uh like a fighter, you know. He's he's no. this uh, kind He's of, a trickster. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> a, uh, yeah. A, um, a sneaky little dude, you know, he jumps around, he's acrobatic, you know, he doesn't, he, he's not out there stabbing dudes. <laughs> the, well, we, we were trying to remember, weren't we, last night, like, does he ever even yeah. hold a sword? I believe he does right like in maybe the final briefly, battle, possibly. Yeah, 
But in the we, I, I found a video of um, One Jump Ahead yeah. in uh, on YouTube, and uh, that whole sequence only Abu he he gra- Abu grabs a sword yes. out of a yeah. uh, out of a sword swallower's mouth and waves it, and then there's a gag. The the soldiers realise that they've got swords. But yeah, Aladdin only holds a loaf of bread during that whole sequence, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much a pacifist, so it, it's weird. I... It's weird seeing it presented in two different ways. I'm not saying it doesn't alter the gameplay because fundamentally, you know, there's plenty yeah, to talk really about, does, yeah. you know, gameplay wise, you know, which one's uh, the better game. But I think from an artistic point of view, I just can't help but feel that Capcom were on the same note of what the yeah. film was. Yet, uh, what's strange is that um, it would appear that, um, oh, who developed the Mega Drive one? Sorry, tell me. Virgin. Dave Perry. Yeah. It would appear that obviously with Virgin and Dave Perry, they had access to Disney, you know, wholesale, uh, and was allowed to have you know the art and animation and and, yeah. and you know all the stuff that's helped along the way. So you'd have thought that yeah, you know, it would be the other way around. You know, somebody having access to the direct you know source where the other person kind of making it up from a you know from a distance, and mm-hmm. yet you know, um, and not to say that the the animation isn't great in the Mega Drive version because it it really is and actually does. It's one of the highlights I think of that game because it looks oh yeah phenomenal. It- Yes, I mean, yeah. well, let's I, go into it. That yeah. animation and art. Yeah, I I couldn't believe it when I fired it back up again. How good it still looks now. It does it's, yeah, I agree. It, the way that the way that Aladdin moves and the way that the enemies move, specifically, um, there was a uh, the moment in the in the first level where where a couple of your enemies are coming to you across those hot coals and they start you know mm. hopping up and down the hot mm. coals. I went, I pulled on YouTube the the clip from the movie where they yeah. in the song they run across the hot coals and it's. It's not frame perfect, obviously it can't be, but it's as close as you could get for a 16-bit. Mm. It just is, it's still so impressive. Um, yeah. And I think that's where, when I was talking before about how I have nostalgia for the Mega Drive one more than the the Super Nintendo one is, mm. like, in my mind, I'm thinking about the Super Nintendo game, but with those animations, because <laughs> those animations just are, they're so fluid and, and beautiful, and, and <laughs> as playing through it, I, I was consistently calling my wife down and showing her the two. I'm like, I'm not nuts. Right. Like this is just like, like it seems like, like almost next gen compared when compared to the other. So it's amazing what just having access to Disney and their animators was, would allow them to do. We need to yeah, talk about kingdom that... hearts sometime. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> That's a serious. Yeah, and, um, and the same, the same voice actors pretty much, uh, gone through doing all the the games since disney infinity and the kingdom hearts games they've they've all yeah. returned from the film pretty much i think maybe not well probably obviously not Rob, robin williams i don't know if dan castellanata who took over for the genie in the straight to dvd or video sequel um did the has done the genie in um in king i hearts honestly don't other, remember other i like think but, sure. i i would have to look yeah. But uh, but yes, uh, I know that uh, a lot of the main the main cast have yeah. returned time and time again to to voice Most the characters them, in, in other video games. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, as well as as well as that, you know, cramming all that animation into the cart and keeping it an affordable cart. It wasn't one of the the Mega Drive cartridges that had a big thing on the front of the box saying, you know, like this is a sixteen megabit cart. I don't actually, I didn't actually find out the size of the cart in in researching the show. I mean, I downloaded a ROM to play it, so. That would have given me some clue, but um, it's uh, it's not. I don't think I don't think it was an exceptionally massive cartridge, despite all the uh, the frames of animation on there. Uh, but yes, the, the as I say, the team were already known for their for their slick, smooth animation in games, and here 
marrying that up with the Disney artists or 10, 10 Disney artists specifically uh, to actually get authentic frames and uh, and put them all together in the game. It really does pay dividends. But I also think, yeah, it's uh, it's not just the animation. Um, the Mega Drive has a more limited color palette than mm. the Super Nintendo. It had far fewer colors, a palette of, I think it was 32,000 compared to millions on the, on the Super Nintendo. Um, and there is a there is a sort of palette palette difference between the two, um, but I think overall, like I think um, the the backdrop the backdrops and everything look pretty great in the Mega Drive version. I, to to I agree, but first of all, uh, but also um, to give the uh, the Super Nintendo version a, a little bit of credit, it doesn't look as close. It doesn't look as close to the movie, but. I still think yeah. that the animations and and the art looks really good. It's it's a different kind of looking good. Mm-hmm. It's oh, yeah. it's not yes. uh, it's not like I was saying not uh, perfect to the original characters, which is understandable given that you know they didn't have access to the direct uh, the direct Disney animators. But I still thought that it's a very good example of that kind of art. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean we we recently covered Super Ghouls and Ghosts on on the podcast and. I we, I haven't cross referenced all the creative uh, Capcom Super Nintendo teams, but I'm mm-hmm. sure there's some overlap there. Uh, we we absolutely raved about the visuals of Super Ghouls and Ghosts, and there's a lot of that skill here. In terms of if there was no uh, Mega Drive version with its ten Disney artists to compare it with, I just think we'd think <laughs> the Super Nintendo version was a beautiful yeah. 16-bit platform. Yeah, absolutely, um, and. It, it uh, yeah, it has a lot in common with other with its Capcom Super Nintendo stablemates in terms of it being absolutely you know top tier pixel art, the kind of stuff that people are still you know indie studios often ape very well, but never quite capture the same. Yeah, magic. you know what? I think that that's a really good way to put it. Uh, I I I could see something like that coming out as an indie game now. Yeah. Really, right? <laughs> I I'd say with yeah. the the animation as well though that there is a little bit of overspill on movement i found you know running mm-hmm. you know jumping on platforms just a little just a little it's not absolutely precision and sometimes i felt like the animation no, absolutely of jumping yeah. needed to play out and would take me off the platform and i found that happening more so on the mega drive version than i did on the snes version. yes um yeah. but then again i think both their ideas are slightly different the mega drive version is is i would say more of a more of a well, not a combat sim is it? It's more more it's of a run and more gun of an action game than, than, yes, than a yeah, platformer. Pure platformer. Uh, yeah, and totally. obviously it, it works the way around. So I think that they had to kind of get the animation right for the SNES version to, to fit within what they were trying to achieve as an overall. But I would say there's things like swinging on platforms in in the SNES version. Like there's a the character just seems that kind of a little bit longer. Like they kind of stretch him out as you swing, just to kind of add a little bit more kind of momentum and stuff to him. So I think they both do a good job. And once again, fascinating to watch a video side by side of how yeah. these two games play out. And you know, although we we were trying to talk about the games as a separate entity, like you can't help but every time you come to you know one versus the other, see how uh, two different studios at that time. Uh, yeah. You know, looked at, at what they could achieve with, the, with you know each individual platform, and yeah, but the I, the animation I think in the Mega Drive one is better. But like I say, there there is just this little bit of overspilling, and I, I had trouble just controlling it on the yeah. number of times of me kind of shoot off a platform, which was like okay, okay. absolutely, yeah. Now that plays more into if there was one sort of significant fundamental difference between the two games, it would be that I would say that the 
the Virgin Games one feels like an American developed game or actually Dave Perry is British mm, yeah. uh, working in America and the Capcom game feels like a Japanese game. The, Cap the Capcom game is way more precise and detailed and... Um, <laughs> I'm, th I'm thinking of one section in particular that I... Magic oh, Yeah, I... <laughs> I'm too old, <laughs> apparently. Uh, no, I no. Actually, yes, I I did have issues with that. But the one I'm thinking of was one the magic carpet uh, section. I did not really feel like I, it, it was definitely partially down to my play skill, but it was also partially to that part is just really really precise. Mm, yeah. um, nah. But the one that I'm thinking of is uh, there's a section. Um, that I think is supposed to be inside the lamp, uh, but it looks like it's outside, kind of. Um, it's very a pastel, and you know, you're mm. you're you're jumping. It's a lot of platforming, not much combat. Um, but uh, there's a segment where the genie flies in and makes platforms that you have to then jump yeah. across, yeah. and he will create them in kind of different shapes. And one of them is this card. Oh that like you bounce on kind <laughs> of but you don't just bounce straight up so and if you get there before he creates the next platform you kind of have to bounce in place and you have to kind of make sure that you're not going to just fall off the card i, the I yep. did that section that's where i broke down and started using safe states <laughs> i did that section <laughs> how about so many in the times. genesis version the the inside the lamp level with the hands that the blind the yes. blind jumps which you would never get in <laughs> the capcom game yep. Um, the yep. balloon to balloon jumping in that yeah. game mm -hmm. where you have to be super precise to grab onto the next balloon. Um, yeah. yeah that... I think the only reason I didn't have more trouble with that is because I Played already knew how to one, do it. But once yeah. again, <laughs> that, I mean, that still falls in uh, um, art and animation, I think. But because two different... Uh, I mean, it's understandable they're going to make a... It's gameplay too because yeah. it's collision but detection. But I, I can understand sure. that they're going to make a, you know, a genie level. That makes sense. But how they both yeah. tackle that yeah. genie level. Yeah, similar in, but yes. different. Yeah. Very, very similar ways, but actually, to me, there's a little bit more heart and soul and playfulness in the SNES version, where it's yeah. a bit more kind of yeah. position jumping, um, a little, and it is, it just feels like a bit more Western, uh, a little bit more clinical, and a little bit more not abrasive is the wrong word, but do you know mm. what I mean? I, I, I do, I, I had I, a, I totally know what you mean. I had a I smile on my face. I think abrasive is an app word, <laughs> okay? Yeah. yeah, I had a big yeah. smile on my And what was yeah. f lovely with this, I've been playing these games, um, actually with my six year old daughter who was sat oh. down. Well, my other one was like, Yeah, it's okay, and but, but um, my other daughter, <laughs> yeah, she, different now, yeah, no, they're very different. Um, but she, she was absolutely captivated by uh, the super nintendo version and it you know it's smart and it you know it's it's charming although she did say like, and you know it's like these games are hard daddy but i was like yeah, yes. no yeah why why do you keep starting restarting i'm like i'm not the game's restarting back at the start of the level honey <laughs> so it's like um but then she lost interest in whether it's because i played the mega drive version second but she kind of lost interest in the mega drive version um i think because mm. it's more kind of caves and dungeons and and whatnot um mm. Yeah, I don't know. Just a, just as an aside, it was interesting seeing it from a, a six-year-old's eyes because obviously she loves the film as well. So mm. I can definitely see how the uh, Super Nintendo version might appeal to a younger audience more, uh, and that's not to say how the, the Genesis <laughs> version is for, that was definitely a for adults. <laughs> it's extreme. <laughs> no, it's got attitude. But um, but but it's no, it's more colorful. You know, it does have kind of more uh, whimsy. whimsy the whimsy was yeah. where I was going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, so I mean, it, 
they, they do have a different tone to them. I think. Yeah, for sure. So, I think perhaps, that, yeah. perhaps the best uh, tattoo is by the fact that you're slashing yeah, things with yeah. the sword. Yeah. And I think it's a metaphor. I, the sword is a metaphor. They both have their their difficulty peaks, but I would say overall, the SNES version is the easier game. Probably. I think the Mega Drive version has more. Uh, more spikes and um, I mean I don't know if they both kept in mind this thing that was uh, kind of outed but I, I guess people always had their suspicions but um, during a uh, one of the uh, Double Fine Let's Plays uh, one of the developers from Virgin during this period was playing the Lion King and saying oh yeah we always used to put a massive difficulty spike in level whatever like less than halfway through the game because of the rental market. What we didn't want was people renting it from Blockbuster and finishing the game and then not buying it. We wanted to either for them to rent oh, it multiple wow. times or or for them to have to go and buy it. So that's why you'll often find that these games kind of start off quite tough, then suddenly peak and then actually become almost more gentle towards the end or, hmm. or relatively more gentle anyway. Well, well, so What's kind um, of funny as well is that Shinji Mikami is obviously involved in the SNES game. And it yes, and yeah, it it feels like if if you were talking from a kind of modern day perspective, it should be, you know, twisted around the other way. But hey, yeah, but he at this point he hadn't made Resident no, Evil, and he had made yeah. Goof Troop. You know, he was yes, uh, exactly. so <laughs> yeah. I, it's it's I think it is kind of a shame that none of us were coming to both of these games at the same time or at for the first time mm. now, um, because I would be interested to see what people feel about the difficulty having not yeah, played either very of difficult them to say, isn't it? up to this point because like right now you know i i like i said i i knew i knew the the genesis version so that was easier for mm. me and i i had a lot of trouble with the snes mm. version yeah. just because i you know i i'm it it's a tough game and i hadn't played it before i i thought that i had i really thought that i had played this game before but going back to it mm. now if i did it wasn't for very long and i definitely never beat it so mm. um but yeah, it it I I had I had some trouble. Yeah. I'm not I'm had, not afraid to say. I had trouble with the Genesis version too, the Mega Drive version, because um it had that thing that I, I'm not sure if I this is me in my head associating it only with Mega Drive or not, but the particularly in the in the inside the lamp genie level, not to just harp on that, it has those weird that weird quicksand jumping physics yeah, yeah, yeah. when mm -hmm. you're on the genie's tail. Mm -hmm. That I don't I, I'm not sure pet peeve probably isn't the wrong is the wrong word, but but that that drives me crazy, and I like I could never quite get the timing right to get onto the top of it and then get a full jump mm. to the next platform. And I yeah. and I really struggled within that within that level. And um and that was something that I just associate with. I remember there's sections like that in Earthworm Jim, which obviously is not surprising. Um, yep. And yeah. uh, that that particular <laughs> physics mechanic to me is just such a turnoff that I. Uh, <laughs> I had to walk yeah. away from uh, from breaking I, a six button controller every once in a while while playing. Those I, I have to say, actually, someone who, you know, I've I've come to the Mega Drive version fresh, and I think a lot of that stuff would have been okay, you know, back then. But but I've played so many games with you know so much better, mm. um, you know, jumping mechanics and, and physics and you know directional control in the air and all that all that stuff. And not to say there wasn't. I mean, there's obviously brilliant games that did you know brilliant stuff back then. But mm. yeah, it it does feel you know just not quite right by today's standards you know there is some elements there that I, you know, I was just kind of banging my head against the wall going okay well you know i have to remember where this is um but yeah i got through it so yeah I, I, yeah good me <laughs> yeah i mean i finished uh, i didn't sort of complete this in my history but i, I completed the mega drive version uh, authentically back in the day <laughs> um this time i've played the uh, super nintendo version on my snes mini so effectively under emulation 
uh, and I used saves coming not to get myself through the game but to save time basically um the mega drive version i did save scum in places um just because it was uh yeah i mean i, I was get I, I would easily have enough lives and continues to beat the game but it was more about the the restarting is the thing isn't it the modern even though it's very you know the it takes very little time to actually flip to the dying animation in the Mega Drive version and get you back in the game. But uh, but it's just that thing of having to redo stuff is not something that we really enjoy doing unless, you know, maybe Sekiro players might say differently. But <laughs> um, it's something that you've got to be, have time and patience to do. Whereas uh, when I'm playing games for this show, I don't necessarily have time just to keep battering my head against the wall when it's something that I know I can do. I just have to keep doing it over and over again. One so of the, I, the beauties of emulation. I have a brief confession to make regarding the Mega Drive version because I was playing through and I was determined to beat it authentically. I was playing on the original hardware, the original cartridge, and yeah. I had I had played a lot of it, you know, probably, you know, seven or eight hours up to that point, and I I got to what I knew after looking at my walkthrough, it was the final level. And I had after the first stage of it, I had like seven lives left, and I was doing I was like, you know, all set to beat the game, and I got a bonus level with a poo. <laughs> and the cartridge glitched out oh, in the no. middle of the oh, level. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. So I hit reset, and I was, like, getting ready to do it again. I'm just like, no. I might just use the David Perry code to skip to that level at the end ah. and do it that way. But... I've forgotten it had a code. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But no like... passwords. That's something that, uh, yeah. that the Super Nintendo version did yeah. have that, um, that the mm. uh, Mega Drive version did not. That's true. Yeah, passcodes based on uh, based on faces of the characters. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned the Abu bonus level there as well, uh, which is uh, distinct to the Mega Drive version, where he he wields his sword and uh, has to battle through a sequence of uh, things falling on him or attacking him uh, to get uh, to get some more gems together, which you can buy with which you can buy continues and lives. Again, I did. I mean, I love I love Abu in the game. He's voiced by the legendary Frank Welker. Uh, who's responsible for many of the best cute voices in cinema over the <laughs> the years um and uh and he's just so, so adorably animated but it is it does seem a bit rich that you get to play as the the comedy sidekick monkey but you never get to play as uh one of the protagonists princess jasmine <laughs> uh let's talk music so the as I said, I absolutely love the songs in this film. Uh, maybe I'm not that keen on the sappy one, but uh, but the others I think are some of the some of the the greatest in modern kind of musicals. Um, I still haven't seen The Princess and the Frog though, which is a, a massive oversight of mine. But um, but in in terms of modern ish Disney, uh, I think these Alan Menken songs are just so fantastic. So uh, the the job of translating them over to the Mega Drive in this case was given to Donald Griffin and Tommy Tallarico who is, of course, still making uh, a living by doing live concerts of video games music to this day. Uh, now, some of the tunes are original and a few of them are interpretations of songs from the film. I actually think, although they're in tune and they're fine and the tempo's right, the Mega Drive could have done a lot better here. It's pretty uh, middling interpretations. When you think this is the machine that gave us the likes of Thunder Force 4 and Streets of Rage 2, these are quite perfunctory kind of interpretations of the music. Um, as I say, if you play the MS-DOS version or the Amiga version, you'll hear uh, rather more sample-laden uh, attempts with brass and, and what sounds like strings and things like that. But here it's just, it sounds like it's total video game music. 
Yeah, the loops are not great. Um, it, it gets a little repetitive because, I mean, they are clearly sticking to the music from the films, which, I, I again, I get, if especially if they were working with Disney directly, I get why they might want to do that, but it, it gets... Given that you are likely to restart a lot, it gets yeah. a little repetitive. Mm. Those, you know, the melodies that are in there, though, you know, um, obviously, I think they're sort of unimpeachable. And I've had, since I've been playing these games for the show, I've had the oh, entire yes. soundtrack on a loop in my head. Oh, yep. Same. <laughs> yep. Good. Good. Absolutely. Good. Apparently, Aladdin on Blu-ray is kind of hard to track down. So. Oh, um, no way. Yep. Okay. Well, we need to wait for that Disney channel to start. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How do you not own them all? Come on. I know. Well, I, yeah, I, well I'm I going to uh, to see my parents this weekend, so I'm going to see. I, I don't. I mean, they won't have the Blu-ray, but maybe the DVD. I know we had all the VHSs. Oh well, yeah, the I big thought... white shelled VHSs. Yep. I, got, I still have a bunch of those. <laughs> uh, we didn't get the white shells here, but I was going to say actually, when this came out the cinema, I went with my girlfriend, and then because I loved it so much, I took my mum, which uh, I think it was probably the last time I went to the cinema with my mum. Um, all those years ago, she didn't die. I'm saying it's the last time I went to the cinema. You should take with her again. Her. Uh, yeah, to see uh, a lad in the film. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe. So funny story. Uh, I think the last time that I went to see went to uh, the cinema with my mom was to see Beauty and the Beast. The there live action go. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, which actually is also we might wonderful. have seen it after that, but you know it's, it's cuter if we saw Beauty <laughs> and the Beast. Last. <laughs> but yes, we also uh, the girlfriend who I went to see the film with in the nineties. We also bought the VHS and uh, mm. yeah, watched it quite a bit. And it was on Netflix UK a little up until a little while ago because I did rewatch it about maybe two years ago. Two it's or not on US ago. Netflix currently, I've checked. No, I think <laughs> most Disney stuff is uh, I'll, I'll, is on, on the way. I'll send my Blu-ray long... around. I'll give it to everybody. Okay. Okay. <laughs> as long as we're being uh, a little a little sentimental, it's, it's the first sure. movie that my two year old son sat through the entirety of oh. the Disney's Aladdin. We sat there on the couch. I mean Granted, he was he was wasn't feeling so well and, and was and fairly medicated, so he wasn't likely to get up anyway. Best but... way to watch Aladdin. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I'm sure he understood all the Robin Williams references. Uh, yes, absolutely. He really liked the Jack Nicholson one about ten minutes in. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, once again, just to be a little bit harsh versus the two different versions and stay on track somewhat. Um, the mu- yeah, the the music comes across as just a little bit harsher, a little bit more kind of um, uh, uh, mechanical. I think just, very different sound yeah, chips. Just uh, listen. Yeah, I, of course, yeah. and that's why I, yeah, I'm I'm not complaining against it because it's a weird scenario to have these two games playing side by side because I, I really think mm. upon release, so few people would have been in that uh, that situation. It's not like now where everyone seems to have everything. You know, you generally didn't have both consoles, so kids probably still I don't. don't do they? Yeah, I don't. Uh, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't I know. Their parents <laughs> are also gamers. The kids of gamers. Yeah. yeah yes. Um, sure. But yeah, it, it comes off just you know, it just sounds slightly more kind of mechanical. Um, versus yeah. this next version. And yeah, the Mega Drive was definitely capable of more. Mm. Uh, but um, but again, it may have been because of all the animation on the cartridge and yeah. them keeping the size of the cartridge down, they couldn't really go to town with the music. See, there I are think... one or two speech samples and they are typically Mega Drive <laughs> harsh. Yeah, <laughs> I, might, I think I'm the dissenting opinion here on the music because I, I, I really prefer the Mega Drive music to the Super Nintendo <gasps> music. Yeah. And I think the reason for me is because... I played in replaying them. I played the Mega Drive version first, and then the SNES version. Mm. When I started playing the SNES version, I all I could think of is how come they're not using licensed tracks? You know, every yeah. almost every all but two levels yeah, the, two inside them, the lamp yeah. level and yeah. the whole new world level were yeah. were original compositions, and they're and they're I think good. They're good original compositions. But when I'm playing the game that looks like the movie, I yeah. vastly prefer having the movie music 
even despite the short loop. So yeah. um, that was one of the things I had, I thought about, like doing the compare and contrast. That I really did enjoy the Mega Drive version, even though after the fourteenth time of playing the Cable Wonders <laughs> level in a row, it did start. Wow, to you got it through fourteen times. No, nice. yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I might be giving myself a little credit there, but uh, uh, but yeah, I just to me just I'd rather. And then maybe this is just my childhood speaking. I'd I rather know, have yeah. short but authentic as opposed to, you know, the, the the other music was different, so why did I care about that? <laughs> yeah. That type of thing. Blue Weasel Breath from the forum says, I delved again into the Genesis Aladdin late last year. After save-scumming my way through about half that version, I realised I wasn't enjoying the experience. Sure, it was beautiful, and the ludo-narrative dissonance of the pure-of-heart Aladdin hacking dozens of guards and merchants to death with a scimitar was a hoot but the hit detection was completely whack. I couldn't tell how close I could get to a pit before falling in. Each new level started to get visually repetitive after about 60 seconds. I was dying constantly, not able to dodge or attack deftly enough. In spite of my love of the movie and my theoretical attraction to this version of the game, I wasn't having fun. I kept meaning to go back and finish the Cave of Wonders, but I still haven't. So yeah, that speaks to the uh, the thing we've already sort of talked about a little, which is the, I think the... The hit detection in this game is uh, hard to read and imprecise. There are a lot of time, you know, you've got this health bar effectively, which is depicted by either the smoke from coming from the lamp or on the other versions, the uh, genie's face and the hourglass uh, with sand in it. Um, but the, I think there are sections here where it's not, again, this is where the difference between, I think, generally traditional Western design and traditional Japanese design, the Eastern design would be more precise you'd be able to learn the sequence and perfect it and not take any damage. Whereas it feels in this game like there are sections where you are almost inevitably going to take the odd little hit mm -hmm. uh, from things overlapping you or bats suddenly coming out of the roof when you can't really see them and there are blind jumps and all this kind of slightly looser stuff which uh, which which doesn't perhaps sit so well with me. I was, um, because I you know died a number of times at the game I was thinking what well, you know is this a game that obviously has been speed run so I thought it was interesting to see you know whether there's any hints tricks or you know glitches that people would use to go for it and even watching that I, th I think I saw someone do it in 40 minutes something like that um yeah mm. and even they would have the slight overspill issue or go to hit something and the sword pass through it and you think well this person yeah. has played this game a lot and you know barely yes. you know and doesn't die in, in any of the it's not reliable or consistent yeah so they yeah. even they were finding themselves and it wasn't you know to glitch their way through something it was just purely you know the game not having the detection of him swinging the sword through x object um and then you yeah. see him kind of reset himself to hit it so you know it's, it's definitely yeah. a thing even for that people have been super skilled with it and it's weird because in some ways aladdin himself feels super twitchy and responsive and um, you know, like, you know, if you do hammer the button, he does swing his sword around quite rapidly. But, yeah, it never feels like it's 100 percent reliable that something's going to slip through or you're just going to overlap one pixel into the hitbox of a guard that's coming towards you and stuff like this. And it's not a deal breaker, but no. it does make the fact that they keep they keep giving you these sections where there are multiple hearts to pick up to retop up your life or, or checkpoints in certain places. It's almost saying like, yeah, we know this bit's going to be a bit rough and a bit loose. Uh, so here's here's your mitigation. It, it doesn't feel like it's a game that you could, yeah, realistically, no hit your way through like you could with. I I suspect you probably could with the with the Japanese mm -hmm. developer. Yeah, and and it's absolutely more gamey uh, across the two versions. It it feels not to say that yeah the SNES version doesn't feel like a game, but the, this having <laughs> to you know 
okay, not just jump on people's heads or throw apples, but having to kind of do that combat combat management as as slim as it is, you know, there's still yeah. elements there of having to swing a sword, you know, allowing someone to be so far away from you to to, to do you know, for let that to happen. So there's there's a gaming element there that you know just isn't really present in the SNES version. It, it handles things in a different way. So having just played the SNES version, come back to this version, I, I was actually a little bit surprised of how much more of a uh, you know a combat element there was in it without necessarily realizing that's what I was about to face. Yeah, the, um, the platforming in the Mega Drive version is just not. It isn't as precise. Like the the, the example that I always think of is uh, e- even as many times as I have played it, uh, the section where you're running through the lava cave and yeah. you're running away from you're you know pulling your Indiana Jones away from the boulders. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Jumping. Oh, you have to be so close to the edge of the pit before you can jump, yeah. or you're not going to make it <laughs> yeah. to the other side. I had like my brain was mm. like. I had like an Obi-Wan Kenobi moment where something just showed up over my shoulder and went, you have to run farther than you think you're going to have to run if you're going to make that jump. And even still, you know, I, I died a couple of times even knowing what I knew, Let you know, go, it just, yeah, yeah and, pretty and, much. And to, and to do a complete comparison of that is the, 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 how they handle that with the SNES version is they give you a parachute. They allow you to have this kind of Float little, jump, little yeah. extra bit of float if that's what you mm. absolutely need and, and a couple of times i had completely forgot i had a parachute so and, did I, I. and i would be attempting this jump over and over again going yeah. that's odd and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah okay like yeah. do it first time um you where... actually have to pick that item up in the first level i think oh god the... <laughs> that would be weird yeah i think so hmm. uh, i think there's one in is each that, level i was gonna say is that what that is crazy. i could never figure that out oh, yeah. okay. oh. <laughs> it's, it's almost right at the beginning of each yeah. level and it looks like a scroll almost like a yeah like a yeah yeah paper. yeah yeah i'm well, maybe i'm 90 sure unless unless i don't know what that item does no i think uh, that sound that sounds i was right. wondering yeah, i mean what i didn't that was. <laughs> yeah yeah well now i, know. I didn't realize um in the, uh, the peddler's stall in the mega drive version for ages what the item on the right was a wish of course, yeah, they never tell it's, you. A, it's, it's a continue. continue. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it was in the manual. Probably. Uh, <laughs> which didn't come weirdly with the hooky ROM that I downloaded. Yeah, mine either. That's strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and also with the, the combat of the Mega Drive version, um, mm. they play a lot more with, uh, and you, you will tell me what, what this is, and I, it's not parallel mm. scrolling, but the, the way that you can kind of go behind objects in the environment, so there's more of a layer. Um, yeah, it's parallax. Okay, I mean, it's it is, yeah, it's a form of parallax. So, so that definitely happens in the Mega Drive version, where you feel yes. like you're going through a level, and suddenly you drop down a, a section and not realizing that maybe there's an enemy in that section because they kind of like it's a yeah. little window. And I found myself coming across that a number of times and, and being caught off by guard. But it's a a neat little thing they do also with with that same animation there towards the end of the game. I think is is it like ah uh, it's like swinging balls coming coming in towards the screen and back out towards yeah, the screen. Like 3D yeah, like three D style. Yeah, yeah, that was that mm. was pretty cool. I I like that. Mm. So. And the platforms yeah, slide in and out of the walls and stuff like that. And there's there's various spikes. Uh, I was going to ask you about you mentioned uh, combat there. One thing I wanted to uh, just name check because it's it's I think it's so great is firstly idle animations, which of course really mm. started to become a thing in the sixteen bit era. Uh, the Mega Drive one is just superb. He rolls the apple down his arm. And also the fact that when you throw apples at sword-wielding uh, enemies, the apples get sliced, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, which awesome. is just a beautiful touch, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we mentioned them already. This game has uh, a smattering of boss fights. Um, 
I personally don't think they're great. Uh, no. There's a lot of just throwing apples at things from a distance um, and things that take rather too many uh, swipes to finally mm. disappear, like the stone monkey in the cave and things like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, and the final boss is, yeah, just a, a bit of an anticlimax, really. J just chucking apples at Jafar's head doesn't quite have the... Uh... Though I always thought, I don't know if this is controversial, but in the film version, I always felt like the they'd perhaps run out of time when they were doing the end sequence because I don't think Jafar as a snake looks anything like as good as loads of other things in the film. Mm. It always looked a bit rushed to me. Like I, I was hoping that he would look as... You know how they used a bit of CG for the Cave of Wonders and stuff like that? This mm -hmm. was the era where they were just starting to incorporate CG. Um, I always thought Jafar should have been like a big CG snake, but he's quite a lame sort of straight-to-DVD <laughs> looking snake. Anyway. Um, you digress. The bot... <laughs> The boss in the Super Nintendo version at least has, uh, you know, has the gumption to be a screen filling, slightly mode seven mm -hmm. uh, affair without being truly spectacular. But the Mega Drive stuff, all the bosses are just little, little dudes that you throw apples at or hack away at. Very I, little. The final boss, too. I mean, to to take away your ability to use the sword. I, I know. It's having, ridiculous. having been somebody as a child who did not play that and get that far in that game, at least not to my memory. Like mm. I, I wasted many a life running right up to him and attempting to spam him with that sword <laughs> yeah. until I eventually looked it up and I said, no, no, just use your apples. So, um, and it has to keep a... regenerating four apples because it's the only way <laughs> yes. it can do it in case you run out. Mm. So, mm. and it has this weird drawing mechanic, almost tornado mechanic. You can't really see when it's doing it, and it's a, you know, and the at least at the once you get to the snake version, it's pretty straightforward hopping over the lava. Um, yeah. while, while contrasting to the the SNES version. Where there was the, I mean, the, the typical jump on the boss's head a certain amount of yes. times to defeat it, but mm -hmm. it had the elements of dodging the lava and platforming. Uh. I felt it was more of a, like a, a complete representation of the things you mm -hmm. had done within the entirety of the game, as opposed yeah, that's to the, fair. the 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 Genesis version, where it was just kind of, you know, you almost had to trial and error how to how to how to. There's a very the definite end. pattern that you can follow <laughs> that yeah, I remembered jump. after I'd done it once. I was like, okay, well. Once you get to, the, yeah, once you get to the lava, it's you jump, you throw, you land, you jump, you throw, you land, and then if you run out, yeah. you jump over him and you keep going. Yeah, I, that was another muscle memory moment for me, I think. Yeah. The Game Boy version, when you do not get the snake, um, he does throw out the little, like, ray or whatever it is to, to draw you in, except it doesn't actually draw you in, so he doesn't really do anything. Huh. You just have to not run into him and you're pretty much Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> But yes, uh, we've we, again we've already mentioned it, but just a little more on the magic carpet ride in this version uh, specifically, because uh, this is the bit where a lot of people check out, did check out <laughs> back in the day, because it gets. I mean, They're this is where hard, the Mega Drive yeah. was really, really strong, super fast scrolling. Um, so this is actually a bit of a takeoff of there was a level in a game, a Japanese shoot 'em up called Airbuster. Um, which had this kind of idea of uh, auto-scrolling super fast through a level with arrows pointing you up and down and middle. Now, the the thing about this is it's all um, it's all instant death here. So there's no more life bar nonsense. Uh, if you get hit in the face with a rock, that's it. You start again. Um, and also, it seems to be playing fair for a while with the genie hands telling you where to go until... It just puts a question mark on the screen. <laughs> and until you've died a few times or you get lucky, you won't know where the next slab of rock is coming from. I think it's the same every time. I could be wrong about I that. Think it, I, think, I think you're right. I think, I think you're right too. But I'm not, it reminded me so much of, and this has just been a 
it's a tired example of the fast scrolling level, but it reminds me of the Battletoads jet ski level so oh, yeah. very yeah. much. Um, right. Where it just it it is moving almost impossibly fast unless you know what's you kind of have to memorize time. So, the pattern. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I can't imagine a situation where where somebody cleared that first try again. It's easy for me to say, but um, especially now as I'm getting older, my eyes are getting more tired. Like I was standing as far because I was playing on the original hardware as far away as I could. The the controller was taught to get the widest view of the screen because <laughs> any closer, I just got there was no way I could handle it. But I will say that I also had quite a bit of trouble with the uh, sort of SNES equivalent, uh, if you want to call it that, uh, level where you are, again, escaping the cave, but uh, with the lava behind you. And you you aren't going as fast and it's not quite as long of a level, but it also has the instant death mechanic. If you touch anything, there are rocks falling from the yeah. ceiling. If you touch a rock, mm-hmm. if you touch the sides of the yep. cave, if you touch the yep. lava, you're dead. My uh, problem yeah. with it was not that it was too fast but more that Hmm. it was too slow your control of the carpet is not i I found it to be not great like it it felt Mm -hmm. like it was not responsive enough a lot of inertia yeah Mm. so Mm. that that was where i started running into trouble Mm. uh with with that level and again (laughs) i probably would have had horrible problems with with the mega drive version if i hadn't played it so many times before like yeah yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Super Nintendo also was capable of doing fast scrolling and stuff uh, in its own way, but uh, but here they went for a much more sedate sort of take on that level. But it does have the uh, yeah the impressive sort of lava wave uh, behind you. Magical Isopod from the forum says this is a game I've owned three times now because it's so inexpensive and is frequently featured on best of Genesis lists. But I always wind up selling it because it just does nothing for me. So I sat down with my third copy today and tried to figure out why this game has been such a forgettable experience. And I think it may just come down to having too many trappings of Western Genesis game design. The soundtrack is a respectable homage to the movie score, but something about the sound font just sounds wrong, like it's too squeaky and farty compared to what the Genesis is capable of. The colour palette also strikes me as rather sedate compared to the louder style of the original animation. The gameplay too seems a little off, Aladdin the movie character is sly and averse to conflict, but Aladdin the Genesis character swings a sword around like a bank robber playing samurai. However, a lot of the animations and graphical tricks are technically impressive, and Virgin Interactive really had mastery of Genesis graphics tech back in the day. I can see why people like it, but I ultimately prefer the SNES version for being more faithful to the source film. And that's fair enough, I think. Uh, Yeah, again, we've already talked animation and the fact that Aladdin has a sword, but uh, but again, the the actual, obviously, the the way they deal with the Aladdin hitting people with a sword is to make them disappear in a puff of smoke. But what a beautifully animated puff of smoke it is! <laughs> uh, it really does help. Ashman eighty six also on a forum says, as a kid, we rented a copy of Aladdin over one weekend, and I remember being struck by how great the game looked and just how well it captured the look and feel of the motion picture, which was a favourite in our home. It really opened my eyes to the possibility that games could one day look and sound like the animated movies we'd see in the theatre. I was seven or maybe eight years old and completing a game was still a major achievement for me each time I managed to do so. But I played through Aladdin from start to finish, wonder by wonder, over sideways and under the course of a single weekend, tossing apples and swinging my sword to victory. I was breathing hard, my hands shaking, and when I managed to defeat Jafar, and then I could hardly believe I'd done it. What a magic carpet ride, a thrilling chase. 
but Aladdin was hardly a whole new world for me. After finishing it, I put the game away in its box and returned it to the shop the following day after school, my memories of it already beginning to fade. As time would go on, I'd sometimes remember tossing apples on that initial stage or soaring, tumbling and freewheeling through the dreamy and colourful Cave of Wonders level with a smile on my face. Uh, there's a, a well-known secret, I would say, uh, probably one that many people find naturally and by accident. But at the start of, I think it's level two. Is it level two? The desert level? Uh, there's uh, an item hanging on a washing line, which if you stand directly below it, gives Aladdin Mickey Mouse ears and you get a one up. Ah. I didn't. You know I that? actually didn't. Know. I didn't. <laughs> <mean, no. laughs> there you go. I, I, I right, knew where the time. ears were, but I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Alex79UK says, absolutely gorgeous visuals and animation that truly stand the test of time. I replayed the game fairly recently and it's still as fun as it ever was. I remember at the time feeling like I was genuinely playing a cartoon. As far as movie tie-in games went, this was a genuine high spot. Not just that either, it's a fantastic platformer in its own right. A little on the easy side, sure, but if you want to wallow in some early 90s nostalgia for a while, Aladdin will see you right. Okay, well, I'm going to have to disagree with part of that. <laughs> There's always one, isn't there? For sure. Yeah. yeah. Maybe his muscle memory is even better than yours. <laughs> Perhaps. So, yes, meanwhile, over on the Super Famicom, on the Super Nintendo, Capcom had the license. Uh, I think this was... I don't actually know all the ins and outs, but I think it was essentially something to do with pre-existing licenses mm. with Virgin and Disney and Capcom and Disney so rather than the film rights being a separate license, this just continued both teams' licenses with, uh, or both developers' licenses uh, in terms of bringing games to the different platforms. So I think that's how this happened. Uh, anyway, as I say, Shinji Mikami, the, you know, eventually to be legendary uh, producer, this was uh, one of his first games as designer. Uh, there were four different composers worked on this game, which, uh, although not credited in either game, I do include Alan Menken because he came up with the melodies that are used yeah. in at least two of the levels. Uh, so it seems rude not to. Uh, this one was released in November as well, 93, but a couple of weeks after. Uh, first in the US, then in Japan. And then we had to wait, of course, for a bordered slower version, naturally, in January 1994 in the EU. There was a port, much like the other version that we've already talked about, had a Game Boy Color port in 2000. This had a Game Boy Advance port in 2003. However, uh, this was not well received. Uh, Avi Fryman of GameSpy uh, called it the most monumentally disappointing of all the <laughs> ports from SNES to GBA. So, wow. And, that, and that's a litter. <laughs> don't seek that one out. Uh, the reviews for this game... Well, Famitsu liked it a bit more even than they liked the Mega Drive version, but only a bit, 37 out of 40 compared to uh, 35 or 34, what it was. Uh, EGM liked this one a little bit less than the Mega Drive version, uh, both showing their American and Eastern biases by, <laughs> by a point or two here. 33 out of 40 in EGM. Uh, meanwhile, Games Master gave this a much lower 78% compared to the 95, remember, they'd given the Mega Drive version. Uh, but Game Game Pro gave it a 4.5 out of 5, and Game Fan gave it an 89%. So overall, it was well received, uh, and it sold a, a very healthy, but not as healthy, 1.75 million copies. Now, Magical Isopod, who just commented on uh, how the Mega Drive version was not for him, 
has also fed back on the Super Famicom version. He says, I've just received my new copy of Aladdin for the Super Famicom in the mail, and I've just been hit with this intense wave of nostalgia. This game, for me, has a very specific attachment to a very specific place. Growing up, we would usually spend all the important Orthodox holidays, Christmas, Easter, in advance of weddings and baptisms, etc., at the home of my Teta Kim and Uncle George in Scarborough, a suburb of Toronto. The adults would usually talk about worldly matters upstairs in the dining room, usually with a healthy mix of English and Macedonian, while my cousins and I would head down to the basement. I distinctly remember the basement was huge. There was a big cavernous TV room that took up most of the basement and a second smaller room where they had all the gaming stuff. On one side, there was the Super Nintendo. I know they had Mega Man X, Turtles in Time, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo and Mega Man Soccer and Aladdin, of course. On the other side, they had a PC with Doom and Putt-Putt Goes to the Moon on it. This would have been somewhere between the age of three and six for me. So aside from maybe the arcade, my very first memories of gaming occurred in this room, in this house. My memories of Aladdin, the only game my brother and I could really figure out how to play at the time, are deeply entwined with the smells and sounds of that house. When I hear the intro level music, I can hear family members arguing in Macedonian, probably over trivialities. When I hear the sound of bouncing off a city guard's head, I can hear the very distinctive sound of the security system chiming when someone went out for a smoke. And as a really weird matter of fact, when I was a toddler, before I'd even formed memories, I apparently managed to bounce around in one of those jolly jumpers so energetically, I happened to fall down those stairs to the basement where I would have landed right in front of that gaming room. So, in a really weird way, basically the first six or seven years of my life are so heavily tied to this place, which in turn are so heavily tied to this specific game, I can actually connect a scar just above my hairline from when I apparently fell down those basement steps to a licensed Disney game from the early 90s. Isn't it utter madness how the human memory makes associations? Oh, I love it. I love I love that stuff. It's just that because you know, we we've all done it. I think we've all oh, talked absolutely. about you know that moment we you know we fired up a, a game from our childhood and literally just being flooded with those memories over the top of us and going yeah. oh wow you know I that that's taken me back to a place um, and much the same you know I um, for the kind of uh, much as I like the Mega Drive version this is the version that has me you know maybe not quite at the same place there no, but absolutely like okay yeah I remember playing this as a you know a younger person yeah. Mm. carefree days so obviously we've already sort of talked about some of the aspects of this gaming comparison but uh but feel free to just dive in talking about the differences <laughs> the similarities the things you like the things you don't like about the super nintendo version i suppose for me as i say i came to this version with no nostalgia other than obviously some of the tunes being evocative of the thing and the mm. basically although the art doesn't look as much like the disney art it still obviously resembles the film to an extent like probably to the extent that most licensed platformers would at the time normally uh, it was aladdin on the mega drive was unusually close to its source i would say so here you're going yeah this is definitely an aladdin disney's aladdin game um it's got a lovely title screen i think better than the mega drive version uh, it's got some sort of transparencies effects and things like that um and yeah as you said tony i think it uh, in some ways although it doesn't look as authentic i wonder i wonder how a version that was the, I think, probably more tightly and coherently designed Japanese game with the Disney art of the Mega Drive game. That might have been the ultimate Aladdin. Obviously, we'll, we'll never see that now. And that's not to disrespect the beautiful pixel art of the Capcom artists of, of the Super Nintendo era, because I absolutely love that stuff. Mm. But here you've got a game which I think 
really is uh, it was uh, Ben from One One Credit Classics pointed out rightly, I think. And again, I think there's some overlap with the development teams. There was a trilogy of Disney games on the Super Nintendo based around Mickey, Mickey and Minnie, Mickey's Magical Quest. There were three of these, but one of them involves a circus. This game is very much in line with those. It has a lot of similarities with those. It's like a cross between those and Prince of Persia, the original mm-hmm. Prince of cool. Persia, which, of course, came a few years earlier from from Broderbund. Um, the sort of the parkour aspect uh, and obviously the yeah the baggy Persian trousers and all that kind of thing. So <laughs> that's where I am with this. And yeah, playing it without any real nostalgia for the original piece at the time. I had a good time with it. This was a fun 16-bit platformer for me. Beautiful colours, wonderful colour palette, uh, and, yeah, some fun levels as well. Perhaps, you know, it never really hit the the heights of some games of the era, um, but overall, I, yeah, I just thought it was um, it was really nice to have a game of this quality and this of this lineage to go back to, a, a Shinji Mikami game from the early 90s that I'd never played, and it's really cool. I almost wonder if the fact that there weren't Disney, a direct Disney connection uh, in the in the development team means Mm. that they kind of had the freedom to make it different in in whatever ways they thought might make it better. Now, whether they succeeded or not depends on who you are, which one you prefer, whatever you have. Um, But I I, I think that's the problem with a lot of licensed games is, you know, you, you... are given so many stipulations that you have to stick to this or stick to that as you're making the game. And if they, I I, I don't want to quite say that they could get away with more, but that's almost what I mean. Um, It's just, they, they had a little bit more leeway to kind of use different bits of creativity that, that maybe the Genesis version didn't quite have. You say that. And I, I feel like if, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, what you're saying there, but I feel like it's for the wrong game. Is that, I, I feel like if, if you presented me the Mega Drive version of the game and said, well, they had the creative freedom, freedom that they want, they gave him a sword and they kind of kept true, it yeah. <laughs> they kind of kept it in a cave and you know the color palette isn't quite as bright and be- and, it, and it, to me it feels that actually the Capcom team hit I mean we've talked about this a lot of times about art style versus you know technical capabilities of, of you know whatever you're designing. And I think, you know, the art style feels more Disney-esque, um, even if it doesn't have quite the, the same animation. And actually that does, play, when, when you play them side by side, there, there is a, a, a quickness and a smoothness to the Mega Drive version that just isn't in the SNES version. Um, it runs, it feels like it just runs that, that tad slower, whether that is the case or not. That's how it felt mm-hmm. to me. Um, but it, it, it feels more traditional. So it has the Disney arc. It's not caught in a cave of a sword and, and you know, Jafar being kind of mean. It's there's a sweetness, there's a tenderness to it. And I can understand why mm. if you had played the two games and you know, you're know you a Mega Drive guy, it kind of goes with the platform. Not to say that everything was like that, but that was somewhat the image that Sega built up for themselves. Yeah. True. Yeah. And there for is sure. an image to the SNES version, which played across many games, that it was just slightly more of a softer and gentler platform. Still True. exists to this game within Sonic Nintendo. and Mario, the, the yeah. differences. Still between... exists to this day, right? Yeah. You know, where, yep. where do we yeah. where do we want to send our children? We send them to Nintendo. It's a great you know beginning platform, and most of us stay there for a very long time and still love it. But there mm. is an element to playing back through this game again of going, no, this really does feel like the if if Disney were to make games now, well, they kind of do, but they're all <laughs> mobile. <laughs> if they were making them now, 
um, this would be how they would imagine that stuff. If um, mm. it just feels more authentic. My my last point is I I think and how this plays out for me the most important section here is the magic carpet ride with Jasmine. I was just about to say that yeah. because it ties the whole thing together. It it breaks the gameplay. It allows you to kind of in you know engage in the story somewhat, and it 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 just fresh you know it freshes the brain somewhat. You know it it con- connected me with the game far more than having to do pixel perfect source wiping. There was an emotional attachment I had with that one element mm-hmm. of that game that really aggratiated me to it. And even you know, many this many years down, add that with the is that the whole new world song that plays yeah. over that magic carpet yeah. ride. And yes, you're collecting you know gems in the stars, and it, it, it's you know there's not much to do, but it it's, it's beautiful. And I and I, that's not necessarily something that I ever came away from the Mega Drive version of saying oh, I think that's beautiful. And it's also a no fail section, which is mm, nice, yeah. you know. It's like a, it's kind of a midway halftime, however you want to describe it, point of the game, where you just kind of get this nice. It plays the entirety of the song in their in their sixteen bit, you know, version, the SNES music version of it. You just kind of soar through the skies. It has the nice backdrop of Viagra behind it. And uh, when playing through it uh, last week uh, or a couple weeks ago, I couldn't like believe just kind of how peaceful that was, and mm-hmm. and what a what a change of pace from a. 16-bit platformer that normally is because it's normally you complete the level you go to the next level and it's just that much harder and you need to be that much more precise and that much more on your game and it was kind of nice to have this you know break from the level you get to the end of the level it gives you a new password so you can skip past everything else and it's just kind of it was a, it was a nice break and it does really define the difference in tones between the two games for me i i think just to kind of expand on uh what i was saying before um it's something that I, I've heard both from our correspondents and from you all is that it feel that the SNES version that is it feels more like the the movie, a- and I think that that's that's kind of what I mean when I say that they had more freedom because it's the mm. Genesis version is is more literal almost like it and and what I mean by that mm. is you know it's I it's very faithful in like the the sprites and it's faithful in you know some of the backgrounds and and as much as it can be in in the music mm. whereas the the SNES version seems like to a lot of people it just it gets the feeling right. It gets like the the emotion that you would have if you're you know watching the movie. It, it that's the part that like it just feels more like the movie rather than is more like the movie. If that uh, yeah, if that makes sense. Totally get you. Yeah, it's more of a hug. Like yeah, the, yeah, kind of. The, the movie obviously the mo- movie sword is a metaphor. I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the movie obviously has its darker bits and scary bits, as as the best you know Disney's do famously. So I mean, nothing as dark as Bambi, perhaps, or anything like that, but. Uh, it has some bits that would uh, I, I like to think still chill most children at least you know in a in a fun way. Uh, but the the overall tone of the movie, you know, it's obviously it's about love and friendship as well, and um, you know the 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 bond that Aladdin and Genie and Abu will form, and the, even the carpet, you know, even the the carpet, the semi sentient carpet is uh, is a, is a likable character. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of warmth in it. Whereas yeah, the Mega Drive version obviously has that Disney art and, and in some ways, particularly the, the characters look so mm. incredibly authentic, but actually the feel of the game is, um, you know, it's quite, yeah, it's like, you know, slash, 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 you know, it's, it's quite intense. It's quite, um, there's spikes and there's balls and there's flames. And yeah, I mean, obviously you can, you can of course 
run out of health in the the Super Nintendo version. But... Oh, you can absolutely yeah, you die. Can. Oh, you <laughs> yeah, can yeah. die. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not pretend we're we're talking about a game that's just you know kid friendly. It, it's, no, it's not like it's Kirby's not. Epic no. Yarn or something. No. <laughs> so just to continue those comparisons, and you know, I, I don't think that one's better than the other unless per se. But if I just go back to the you know the the, the, the genie level in particular, you know. I feel like when I played for the SNES version, I've almost got, you know, here's like, ba 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 ba. And I'm like, smile mm. on my face, and I'm got, mm. just jumping through things and doing the swings, and it's all going swimmingly well. And occasionally I might die that one jump that Leo got to. But, you know, I everything, it just put a big smile to the face. And I just can't help but kind of think back to my time in the Meg Drive version of going through the same section, going, wow, this is, that jump wasn't quite right. And I need to, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I, and yeah, the difference in feeling between those two sections. Yeah, one yeah. brought me back to being, you know, a kid again, and the other one brought me back to, okay, I need to beat this game. It feels like the, the yeah. person I am now rather than the person I was then, and that's unfair, right? So that's yeah, it well, it is a little bit, but it you know, I I can't help but feel utterly charmed by the SNES version. This playing at this is this podcast is playing out every bit as interestingly as I hoped it would yeah. in, in, in exactly this sense. Sometimes that... I think things like, "How are we going to get two hours out of X?" and then, yeah, never. <laughs> yeah, um, in the sense that uh, there are, you know, yeah, different people. As we've, you know, we've desperately tried to espouse and establish over over the years is that different people want different things yeah, from absolutely. their games, and also even the same people can be different at different times in their life uh, and and you're looking for different things uh so yeah i mean obviously i don't want to preempt uh, summing up but but suffice to say that um i was expecting one thing coming back to one of these games and kind of came away with quite a different experience to by you know playing them both compared to what i was necessarily expecting and i think it does i think you're right it does as well as all the you know we we divide games up into bits and talk about them uh in in sort of categories and whatever but actually the overall sort of takeaway i get from from the super nintendo game is yeah it's a warmer feeling mm -hmm. yeah. can't put it better than that really uh I, and it, as well as i think yeah more precise design which is something that i think we appreciate more now than perhaps we did 25 plus years yeah. ago i and in playing through the snes version again there are certain segments of platforming that i just think are are really creatively and 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 neatly designed where you can kind of engineer a swing off of a ring onto like a handspring off of a couple mm. rocks and it feels like you're in control parkour yeah and it, it really yeah. does feel nice and uh smooth and felt like i, I kind of had a handle of what i'm doing there's some issues with the platforming i completely agree with what leah said much earlier about if you're stuck in the handspring animation and are waiting for the next platform mm. to, mm. to to appear it's almost was almost certain death for me um, the thing that I find interesting in the exact segment that Leah was talking about, um, the section inside the lamp where he's making the platform appears, platforms yeah. appear, and it's rings and clouds and cards to bounce off of. If you get to zero lives, like on your last life, he right. only makes clouds appear. Like Is that if you get to that last that life, I yeah, couldn't figure they, out they, why he was doing that yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think I had the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what I did, literally what I did for that section is I would I would intentionally <laughs> beat zero lives because I knew I couldn't. See, so adaptive difficulty and... way back then. That's, well, yeah. again, this yeah. is this is Shinji Mikami. Yeah. This is the man who you know would go on to uh, direct Resident Evil Four. Uh, ten years, twelve years later. I yeah. mean, that is amazing, isn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant design.
so yes, they both involve throwing apples, as we said, and platforming. But I think, yeah, I think we've we've done. I think we've done all right, a good, decent job in sort of trying to explain the difference in the feel and the the design of the levels and the. Yeah, I uh, I would have to say they're both really charming. Um, I know I know I I think the ones are more of a warm hug, but they're they 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 have comic comedic elements to both of the games. Yeah, there's within the animation, within some of the the enemy design and. The kind of there's, there's a cheekiness yeah, to to the whole thing. It's not all seriousness, which is uh, you wouldn't expect it from the game. But yeah, there mm. there is some beautiful touches in both games that make, you know, do put a smile on your face, even if one you you're kind of bashing your head against the wall. You you probably yeah. actually need that. <laughs> and they're unique enough from one mm. another to really yeah. like recommend one based on the other, based on what a player might like. You know, I, they're they're not carbon copies of one another. I expected when I went back that that there would be many more similarities than, than there were. I mean, there's similarity in the fact that they're both from the same licensed product, but they're, yeah. they're really quite different games. So it's, it's mm. interesting to kind of compare and contrast them because saying which one's better than the other, it, 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 like we said at the beginning, it's not, not only it's, is that not yeah. interesting, but it's almost impossible because they're, they're kind of a different thing. And what I find fascinating, obviously, these, these two elements are battling against each other, you know, completely separate pro- projects. And I think you you do see that somewhat now if you've got games, you know, sequelitis that has, you know, three or four sequels in quick succession, and you may have different development teams, you know, handling those projects and how each one comes out. But it's interesting to have a game hit at the same time with different, you know, slightly different aspects of it. And I, I can only think of, there's been a few games, like I know when the Lord of the Rings license was was doing the rounds and, you know, someone had the films, you know, rights, another person had the book rights, another person had the publishing yeah. rights. Strategy games. Yeah, that, yeah and there was a bunch yeah. of games that, you know, absolutely attacked the, you know, the idea of Lord of the Rings and the literature at the same time and, and produced wildly different games between strategy yeah. and, you know, action games and fighting games. And it, and it was fascinating to see that the time was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm into this one, so I'm, I'm not going to play that one. Mm. Well, this one's by a bigger you know, house and the animation's more beautiful, but actually you know, the content of this one's This one's got more. Lego. Yeah, so to me, I, I guess that's kind of the similarities we would have now is you know, a license going across um, yeah. different areas. But it generally doesn't happen quite so much now because when someone buys a license to say something like a Disney license, I mean, they or EA and Star Wars license, they get the publishing rights for that. And, yeah. and that is that, and nobody else gets to touch, touch yeah. it at all. So You might make a, a, a format-specific version in the sense that, obviously, yeah. the mobile phone version wouldn't necessarily be the same as the, the desktop PC version. But here, you had two completely yeah different architectural consoles, uh, other than they all, they all they shared, really, was 16-bit processors. That's about it. Uh, and the fact that they put images that you could control on a TV screen. Um, and yeah, because of that, as I say, I think because of those pre-existing licensing agreements, we ended up with these two similar but different games. And in fact, that was one thing I was going to say. Again, we don't know how much conversation there was either between the two or, or between Disney and the developers, but they both have sort of in-between level roulette mini games. <laughs> like, did they both come up with that completely independently? Or did Disney say, you know what would be fun? A between level roulette mini game. Uh, where you can get extra (laughs) extra lives and stuff yeah and you have to throw apples they're the only two things um i i mean i suspect back then that these sort of stipulations around licensed games weren't quite as strict Mm. as they would become but i think we weren't at the point like when we got various computer games in the 80s where the you know the the things that characters would do bore no resemblance to what basically it was the box art and that was it (laughs) yeah oftentimes yeah yeah and this is this certainly isn't a unique case uh this two different games with the same name and the same license but 
I think th this was one that always stood out as me as uh, as being a an interesting case just because of the the similarities and differences. One difference in gameplay that I did want to ask about, and I'm going to guess that uh, no one's done it, um, but where the Mega Drive game still has a kind of score system, which I don't really, I think it's completely superfluous. Uh, the fact that things are worth points and you can actually, you know, I mean, I, I, it looks to me like it would be exploitable because there's regenerating enemies in various places and stuff. So I think you could just effectively max out your score anyway. So I don't see what the point of that is. But the Super Nintendo version has a rather more Nintendo style setup, which is where it, it each level has a specified number of gems which it shows you how many of which you've got at the end, rather like the red coins in Yoshi's Island, which mm -hmm. wasn't even out at this point. If you get all the gems on every level, you get a better ending. And there's also a, an intermediary ending if you get most of, but not all of the red gems. Uh, probably not enough to make it worthwhile, but um, I would say that probably it's at least something which adds a genuine replayability th uh, compared to the Mega Drive version. And also, I believe you have to... Uh... Like you can't you can't uh, use a password. Like you have to get through because once I I mean I used passwords a number uh, of see. times and yeah. I was far from getting all of them. But I only had the gem. They give you a gem count at the end, and I only had you know whatever what? it was I'd collected in the last <laughs> level. So I see. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, so you'd have to play it honestly, legitimately through in one session. And get all the gems. Well, legitimately, you could probably use save states if you want. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and what's the better ending then? Uh, it's just a couple of extra scenes, as you'd expect. Uh, I can't remember exactly what they entail. It's it's out there. You can look it up. Um, but yeah, it's a couple of. It's not. Yeah, it's not transformative. It's a couple <laughs> of extra, couple of extra little, you know, uh, vignettes on the, stapled onto the end of the. Oh. The end sequence, basically. Where's so. Raja? Is he in the better ending? Because uh... I think he might be. Good. I believe he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dusk versus Tweak from the forum says, "I loved the SNES Aladdin when I was a kid. It was one of my favorite movies then and now, and it was a game I could play and beat fairly quickly. Meaning I played through it a few times. In my later teen years, I found a copy and replayed it, surprised by how much I still enjoyed it." As a seven-year-old, it wasn't just how much fun it was to play. It was the fact that it looked like the movie. The backgrounds, the characters, and most of the music were faithful to the film. And that was a huge factor in why I replayed the game so many times. That and the fact that the magic carpet scenes were just so much fun. And that Jafar looked so menacing in his snake form. Also, as a slight loner of a seven-year-old, I didn't know anyone with a Sega. Which means I didn't even know there was a different version of the game. I've still never played that version because it wouldn't be my Aladdin game, a game of which I have nothing but warm memories. There was a quote from Shinji Mikami. I don't necessarily think he was saying that he thinks that the Mega Drive version was better, but he said if he had not made the SNES game, he would have probably bought the Virgin game because it had a sword and better animation. Yes, it's interesting. Yeah, he was. Uh, he threw his own team under the bus there. Yeah. So if he yeah. just left the word "better" out of that, that could have been a sentence. He just said, "Yeah, I would have brought the game if I didn't already have a game to play." But he put <laughs> yeah. "better" in there, thus throwing everybody under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But yes, he didn't have ten Disney artists at his disposal. Um, yes, uh, I mean it has smoother animation, and yeah, you might say that's better. But 
Psychohype from the forum says, I missed the days when it was possible to have two separate developers take a crack at the same license, thus resulting in two distinct but contemporaneous games releasing on roughly parallel platforms. The curious case of the two 16-bit Aladdin games still stands out in my memory, largely because I think they both happen to be quite decent. Capcom's SNES version may have moved at a slightly slower pace, but its emphasis on swinging acrobatics seemed appropriate to the spirit of the Disney film. The choice to give Aladdin a sword in the Virgin-developed Genesis version may have seemed like a questionable decision at first, but when you play it or see it in action, it doesn't feel out of place. If it comes down to a vote regarding which is the superior game, I have to nod my head to the Genesis version. I do appreciate its faster, smoother animation, as well as the more saturated colour palette. It's certainly not without its drawbacks, though. It suffers from a lot of the same general player feedback issues that would go on to frustrate the experience of games like Earthworm Jim, made by many of the same people. The levels, characters and objects all looked great, but it was sometimes hard to distinguish things like the character hitboxes, or what constituted a platform, and when. <laughs> I hated the Genesis version's magic carpet level for its cheap one-hit deaths. Am I crazy, or do I remember the game just let me skip that level after failing so many times? I can't recall if I ever made it out of the genie's lamp alive, but I know I never managed to beat the game. I know that you don't have to actually finish the level in in that. Uh... Y if you get to a certain point and then hit a rock, I think it's like the second time that it gives you a question mark. Oh. If you you can, it it just says nice try. I think that's literally what it says on the death screen. It's like nice oh. try, and then it just skips you to the next <laughs> level. It's like you did enough. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know wow. if that has anything to do with how many times you've died, though. I don't think it does. Not quite as creative as Shinji Mikami's uh, platform substitution. <laughs> but... so, uh, Brian, you, you obviously got the, the SNES version after wanting mm -hmm. the Mega Drive version. I, talking about the kind of the console kind of was, how did that feel? Because obviously you're, you're stuck with a version that you didn't necessarily want on that day. Yeah. Did you become the defender of it against your friends for a while, saying, oh, no, you really should check this out? Or was it just not that kind of case that you eventually you kind of got to the Mega Drive version and just enjoyed it or was there some like no was there a console war in there somewhere there there definitely was a console war in there somewhere but I was a little bit too timid of a child among my friends to um, oh. I think it was one of those things where they came over I would just kind of you know put it under a couch cushion <laughs> you know because I didn't want them <laughs> oh. to you know I, and it sounds terrible and oh, now certainly uh, typical Nintendo player yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly but uh but you know it's funny because I really did covet the graphical style of the other version. But then again, yeah. I was I was ten, so that's what mattered to me were the graphics. I didn't I didn't think about yeah. games in the same way. Now I, I you know if I as a ten year old, what game would I have told you was better, Sonic Two or Super Mario World? I probably would have said, oh, Sonic Two looks fantastic. But but yeah. now looking back on the two, I mean, and the depth of one versus the graphical power mm. of the other. Um. So, <laughs> but I do think it was one of those things where it's like uh, I definitely coveted the graphical style more than the actual gameplay but um yeah i had some friends uh, a friend of mine actually who came over with me to, to to play these games a few weeks ago um we ended up both talking about how we really liked the, the snes version and, and how different it was and and how as children we basically you know kind of hit it in the back shelf because it wasn't wasn't what everybody else had as of a side story here just to say this is still alive i uh i was showing um my girls you know sonic and mario games from from that time and honestly, probably 10 minutes with Sonic. And then Mario went on. That was it. The day was gone. I couldn't get my face. It was... Let's not turn That's this into a was... Mario versus hey, Sonic podcast. Hey, I was podcast. a Sega boy. So, you know, but it, 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 was, <laughs> it was funny to see, like, the, even as it's now. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Is that all this game's got? 
Anyway, carry on. Speaking of Sega, <laughs> there was one more version, distinct version of Aladdin, Disney's Aladdin. This was made by Sims, who are still existing developer who have made uh, mach- uh, games on a huge number of machines over the years. They've had a uh, long association with uh, Sega in particular, but they're also known for porting games to different systems, such as uh, we'll be talking about them again next week because they translated Ape Escape from the original PlayStation to the PSP, for example, a Japanese uh, development, as you'd expect. Um, this was the Game Gear version released in Europe and North America in June 94. It had already come out in Japan in March. There was also a Master System version, which only came out in Europe right at the end of 94 and Brazil at some point, uh, because uh, as keen gamers will know, Brazil had this very long and uh, close relationship with the Master System right up until not that long ago, I, I believe. Uh, the composer was Yoko Wada, famous for Putt and Putter, uh, and I'd like to credit Alan Menken again. Um, <laughs> the Baboon Baron says, for some reason, only known to my 90s child brain, I bought Aladdin on the Game Gear first. It was the first games machine I ever owned, and the portable colour Sega machine was the ultimate gaming machine to my youthful eyes. It was the magic carpet level that drew me towards Aladdin. The adverts on Saturday mornings as well as the footage on Games Master showed, all showed this white-knuckle thrill ride whilst being chased by a wall of fire, all while Robin Williams' genie cracked wise. It looked like heaven. So spare me and others like me a moment's thought that we bought the Game Gear version. It lacked a lot of the pizzazz and flair of the console versions, no voice work, no walls of flame, no hilarious monkey bonus stages. But despite this, there was still a solid core of 2D platforming and enjoyable chiptunes, the magic carpet section was a damp squib on the handheld and the overall package was a far cry from consoles diamond in the rough. Yeah, it's um, it's a sort of two part game uh, with uh, kind of force scrolling sort of endless runner type right, yeah. levels um, and and more regular platforming levels as well. Yeah, I, I, uh, I watched a video on it. It looked yeah. all right, actually. I didn't think it looked terrible, certainly for that system. I thought it looked quite competent. Yeah. <laughs> I considered yeah, trying yes. the ROM for it, but I went, mm, I don't know, GameCube Aladdin <laughs> just doesn't... Mm. <laughs> it's cool. We yeah, we were only ever going to focus on the, yeah. uh, on the reasons, big box version. For reasons I don't need to get into, I was I was I had my Game Gear hooked up the other day because I was going through <laughs> some old stuff. Um Mainly because I was I was researching the difference in these different uh, uh, soccer slash football games, but um, oh, oh. the uh, the interesting thing about the Aladdin Game Gear on the video that you forwarded to us, Leanne, is that it it really did those scrolling platform levels seemed like like to be pretty advanced for the Game Gear graphics. Mm-hmm. I, like yeah. thinking about thinking about the way that the Sonic games ran on the Game Gear, which is really the only games I'm overly familiar with. Yeah. it did look like it, it really had some some power punch to it that would be interesting to go back to. Although I'm sure it. Is nothing like the ones we just played. It just it did seem to have something extra to it that for a Game Gear game, not to belittle the system, seemed fairly interesting. He was definitely yeah. a Sega boy, wasn't he? <laughs> a Sega boy. And yeah, speaking of that Dev's Play session with Double Fine, it was Louis Castle, co-founder of Westwood Studios, who later worked on The Lion King, which is another uh, similar, yeah. yeah, similar, uh, similar do. Uh, I don't think they were allowed to keep using the. I don't know, I think they I think they probably did own the engine, so they probably did continue to use the engine or a version there of it. Uh, they reveal uh, he revealed, sorry, that the studio had pitched a second Aladdin game that would have featured pre-rendered 3D sprites sprites around the same time as the Amiga game Stardust 
and a year prior to the use in Donkey Kong Country, but the project was scrapped by Disney. Yeah. I mean, that would have, I think we can com- confidently say that the visuals on that game would have aged much worse than the ones <laughs> on the games we're Probably. already talking about. Yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about the SNES Donkey Kong Country trilogy later this year. Oh, yeah. Now, we also have some three word reviews, of course. Anarch Gamer says, Bang, Squawk, Crash. The King Raka says, Wait, which version? Bearfish Pie says, SNES and Genesis. Brendan Agnew says, Gorgeous Genesis Adventure. Eric Mickles says, SNES still great. Andrew Elmore says, both versions superior? Alex79UK says Magic Carpet Ride. The Baboon Baron says Phenomenal Cosmic Power. Okay, uh, I don't really know which order to go in. Um, I guess the focus for this is uh, summing up our feelings, our emotions about the both Aladdin games, and then would we recommend either, both, or neither? Brian? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be relatively brief here for me. Um, I recommend both for different reasons i think it's a it's a cool time capsule for uh, anyone who is interested in video game history or in disney history um both games are have their own unique frustrations of which i vocalized into a room filled with no one as i was playing through them um but but in reality it there wasn't a moment when i was playing through these games that i didn't think that i that i wanted to be doing something else Uh, they're they're both a joy to play for different reasons they they have are marked with the age of of games that were made during their era, but they both have um, have very much more than enough redeeming quality to dip into. So if you have the means or and have the have the ability, both via emulation or the original hardware, to check them out, I think it's really worth uh, really worth your time. Thanks, Brian. Leah. Yeah, I I would largely agree with that. I I would say they're not the easiest games to find currently, but if you do have the capability to play them. Um, I think that they both aged pretty well. Uh, they're they're hard, but but especially if you do go the emulation route, there are ways that you can kind of uh, mitigate that a little bit. Um, I, I I would be I know it's not what this podcast is about, but I would be hard pressed to say which one is better because I think that it's impossible to separate that the Genesis version from the nostalgia for me. Um, so I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that that's necessarily better than the SNES version, but it's the one that. I think that I'll Means always think of. Um, yeah. So, uh, but that said, I do think that both versions are worth playing, and um, I, I, I think that they're pretty good, actually. Hmm. Yes. Uh, so the Mega Drive version was the one I had nostalgia for, even though I was that much older when I first played it. So it probably wasn't the same kind of nostalgia or level of nostalgia as uh, as the other folks here may have had. Uh, but it was interesting going back. I, I. I still have very strong memories of playing a lot of these 16-bit character platformers and uh, I played so much of the sort of Dave Perry shiny stuff that I wasn't in any way really taken aback by going back to the the Mega Drive game but but I was struck by playing the Super Nintendo game for the first time how much uh, sort of tighter I think it is in design and yeah how much actually exactly as Tony was sort of alluding to sort of um, yeah, a warmer uh, experience that in some way captures the the vibe of the film a bit better, um, despite the Mega Drive version having that absolutely lush uh, Disney-made animation. So yeah, I do think they're both still worth playing to this day. I mean, 
heaven knows we hardly go a week now without a number of <laughs> 16-bit sort of tribute platformers coming out okay they're more often than not metroidvania style which these aren't these are very much in the old get to the end of the level collect some stuff on the way if you want kind of deal but i think um these both stand up to the test of time they both still i think look pretty tremendous uh and yeah especially i think actually these games probably do benefit from being being able to cheat them a bit in a modern way playing them on the original hardware on a cathode ray tube probably the best but if you're going to emulate you get the uh you get the save state option which can sort of uh yeah smooth off some of those rough edges don't overdo it because you can break the game that way and break the experience but overall yeah um this the i mean the snes game is the last game that shinji mikami made before he made resident evil if and and dave perry it was his last game before he made earthworm jim so these are you know these are significant titles and um yeah they hold up i would say really rather well tony yeah just to echo what everyone else has really said um you know i think if if they weren't tied up in licensing hell i think these games would be absolutely suitable on a compilation platform uh um releases cause yeah. i think the, yeah, they still stand up to the test of time of what um was capable on those systems back then whether it be through um animation um you know not necessarily so in level design but you know there's there's a lot to like about them um i personally you know did prefer the snes version because i think there is you know some history there with that for me um and i just feel like it's a it's a better designed game but i can i would never criticize anybody for enjoying the the more kind of gamey gameness of the the mega drive version so i think that they absolutely both have a place um you know if if you're interested in that kind of history and there's a, there's a number of disney titles that would be fascinating to go back to around the same era you know lion king being one um so yeah i i, I enjoyed going back and and yeah having my my reflexes tested to the max actually in, in some of this stuff so thoroughly enjoying you know big thumbs up from me I enjoyed that. Uh, Tony, you're always somebody who, uh, going all the way back to your early podcasting days on the Digital Cowboys, I always thought you were often, you know, so capable of coming up with uh, really interesting sort of thoughts about games and interesting angles that I wouldn't have thought of. And here today you said gamey gameness. Mm-hmm. And that, in yeah, a way, <laughs> that is perfect. Put on a tombstone. For a, Summary yeah, yeah. of this podcast, gamey gameness is pretty much Resident <laughs> Evil. There you go. I wrote your blurb. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, that was a lot of fun. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, Leah and Tony, as well as all of our correspondents. Thanks for sharing your memories of Aladdin. Editor Jay, and to all of you for listening as well, of course. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you appreciate and enjoy all the content that we put out there, and there is quite a lot of it, please do remember to subscribe to the podcast. You probably do already. Rate it or review it wherever you get your podcast from if you can, especially on Apple, iTunes type place. Or best of all, you can support us and help us keep on doing this this silly thing we keep doing. Uh, we have 2,000 games currently we still want to get through. We're doing 50 a year. Uh, if you want us to get through as many of those as possible, the way to help us do that is at patreon.com slash Even just $1 will unlock all the goodies, but we do encourage you to consider donating more if you think we're worth it and you can afford to do so. You get every Kane and Rinse podcast a week earlier and often extended as well as an exclusive monthly podcast. Not too bad. I feel if you've done that completely in a genie accent, then that would have been brilliant. But you know. Yeah, I'm not going to try to ape uh, the late, great <laughs> Robbie Williams. Uh, next time in issue 370, are you a simian tied to a tree?
Ape Escape.